0: you judgment-free advice on how to raise value-driven children in a way that's right for your family using the most current scientific research out there. I'm your host, Dr. Deanna Marie Mason. I'm a certified pediatric nurse practitioner, published author, and expert in child development. I'm also the mom of two fabulous teenagers, so I know firsthand how much misinformation is out there, and that's why I'm here. So grab a cup of coffee or tea and settle in. This is a safe space where you can ask questions and get real honest answers about how to raise kids in a way that works for you. Today's episode was sparked from a listener's question. They wrote, my neighbor's seven-year-old daughter screams from morning till night all day long. She won't stop and it's so loud that it sounds like she's in my living room even though she lives four houses away. Why do some kids scream all the time? Well, that is a good question. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So get ready. This episode is for you. If you suffer from having neighbors with perpetually screaming children, or perhaps if you have a screaming child. First of all, we need to start by saying that we're going to make the assumption that the listener's neighbor's child is developmentally normal without any illnesses Congenital genital anomalies or other clinical conditions. The listener also kindly added the age of their neighbor's daughter, so we know we aren't dealing with a colicky baby that might be voicing their displeasure of the world. Outside of these types of scenarios, children really should not be screaming constantly. There are some children with brain injuries or illnesses like Tourette's syndrome that may not be able to control their voices because of how their brains function. Similarly, there are some babies that are very reactive or colicky that cry persistently for the first three months of life. Again, these babies are learning how to deal with all the input coming at them and their crying is how they manage that stress. However, these are really the exceptions and not the rule. In most cases. Things can be done to improve screaming, but for the purposes of this episode, let's focus on the healthy, developmentally appropriate child who is screaming from a behavioral perspective rather than a clinical reason. With an eye towards development, most children have the ability to control their voice and socially regulate the volume of their voice beginning at four to six months of age. This means that our kiddos can notice when everyone is speaking loudly and join in, or notice when everyone is speaking quietly and they lower their tone to match. Even our babies who don't yet speak words but babble and coo as they communicate with their parents naturally match their tone to sync with what they are hearing. It's one of the human socialization matchings that we're hardwired to do to fit into the group and improve our survival chances. This is a heartbreaking historical story that touches on this issue in a very real way. Um, I've read that, that indigenous people in the United States would not tolerate colicky babies that cried because they caused a threat to the entire tribe. And if a baby wasn't able to be consoled and quiet, some tribes left that child in the woods to die now please don't get me wrong Um, this wasn't a common practice or a habitual thing in all tribes this is just an example i read of showing the power of social matching in communities my point of the story is is to show that some communities did not put everyone else in danger or discomfort to tolerate an infant that was non-conforming to the group. Um, Life and death situations demanded such harsh utilitarian actions at this time. Um, Luckily today, we don't live in those types of pressures, so we can be more forgiving of behavioral issues. However, the underlying point of respect for others and the rights of a child over the rights of the group still stand. This is part of raising value-driven children. Uh, We should be showing them that they have rights and obligations, just as everyone does. They can't be putting others in a position where their rights are being ignored. So if we have kiddos who are constantly screaming or yelling, even when no one else is, we have to look at why those behaviors began in the first place. And then we can start to look at teaching a child to unlearn a behavior and replace it with a more acceptable one. Beyond the immediate benefit of creating a more calm and quiet environment, teaching a child to respect others around them and notice when they are exceeding their boundaries is a powerful message about living in community and respecting the rights of those around us. Now, it's probably a good idea to start by defining what a screamer is. While we all have probably heard a screamer on occasion in our lives, let's define a screamer as a baby or a child who randomly screams or yells at maximum volume for no obvious reason with great frequency. These screams are to be differentiated, of course, from valid reasons that babies and children should scream, such as pain, fever, fear panic or any other strong stimuli screams in these types of contexts make total sense because they're meant to alert an adult that immediate assistance is needed but as a general rule these types of screams are infrequent because our children are not usually experiencing these sensations in their normal daily lives they occur in exceptional circumstances when they're sick in an unfamiliar situation or have had something happen to them. On the other hand, a child who screams at maximum volume randomly when no stimuli is present to motivate them to scream, well these children are screaming for a different reason. In my experience working with families for 25 years, i found that there's two main ways that a child becomes a screamer. The first general way is when parents have engaged in accidental parenting and have actually encouraged their baby to scream as a means of communication with parents before words are spoken. The other way is that a child has learned that the only way to get attention from their parents is to scream. These are two very broad categories, so let me break each one down and explain what happens that causes this screaming behavior to persist. Let's start with accidental parenting. Accidental parenting happens when we do something as a parent that we think will lead to one outcome, but it actually brings about a completely unanticipated result. And frequently, this unanticipated result is negative and not benefiting our child or ourselves in the family unit. Of course, parents have the very best intention when they are accidental parenting. It's just that they don't understand how their actions are being interpreted by their developing child. They see their actions through the lens of an adult, but their child takes in this information differently because they are still developing intellectually and emotionally. The child's interpretation is correct for them at that moment based on their developmental level, but the parents are expecting something else. This is what leads to outcomes that don't match the expectation. Accidental parenting is what happens to parents when they think they're encouraging their baby to communicate by rewarding screaming babies with praise. It's only normal that parents get excited when their infant starts to babble and coo. Then all at once a baby lets out a playful scream Some parents enjoying this new sound will smile, clap, and encourage their baby to do it again. And when the baby responds by screaming, the parent keeps rewarding the infant with attention and praise. This baby is learning that mom and dad like it when they scream. And so the baby will do it over and over in hopes of getting mom and dad's attention and praise. However, with time, mom and dad get used to this new skill and start to tune it out. So the baby, looking for connection, screams louder. Mom and Dad turn, look at them and smile, and then turn away again. Frustrated, the baby tries once more, this time even louder. In the end, the baby is living for that brief connection that comes when Mom and Dad turn and look into their eyes. I think we've all seen this play out at a family dinner table in a restaurant mom dad baby aunts uncles grandparents everyone is around the table after the baby's been passed around to everyone and cuddled they go into the high chair then all the adults start talking to each other and no one is looking at the baby so the baby knowing that screaming gets connection will start to shriek at the top of her voice mom and dad look aunts and uncles look, grandparents look, and baby gets a big shot of connection from everyone at the table. But it's brief. In just a minute, everyone is back to their conversations and baby is left alone again. So she shrieks again, louder and longer. This time only mom and dad look, but it's just for a second. And this cycle continues until the baby is screaming and the parents pick her up and take her for a walk to soothe her. In the end, The baby got her need for the connection met but the question is did it have to be that way would there have been another way to teach the baby that she had connection without screaming sure there is and we'll talk about that in just a little bit but first i want to talk about the other type of screamer which can actually be a continuation of accidental parenting or be linked to a distinct issue so let's take a look at that too There is another reason that children become screamers, and this is more closely linked to attachment, or that special bond between a child and their parents that gives children a secure base in which they can explore and a safe haven that they can rely on for comfort, protection, and connection. John Bowlby is the main developmental theorist on attachment, and he described attachment as something that starts at birth and continues through childhood. A secure attachment develops when a child has parents who are consistently responsive, available, and sensitive to their needs. An insecure attachment occurs when parents are not yet consistently responsive, not available, or sensitive to their child's emotional needs. Obviously, we want children to have a secure attachment because we know that children who have a secure attachment have better emotional regulation, coping styles, and interpersonal tendencies. Conversely, children with insecure attachment do not have good emotional regulation, good coping skills, or good interpersonal tendencies. Now, all the reasons for having a secure or insecure attachment are too great to go into here, but we know the research says that parents' sensitivity to perceive, accurately interpret, and appropriately respond to their children's signals is the key predictor of a secure attachment. This means that if parents are unable to perceive, interpret, or respond to their child's signals, then they have a higher chance of creating an insecure attachment. So you might be thinking, what does all this information about attachment have to do with screaming? Well, a child who is sending out signals for their parent and is waiting for those signals to be interpreted and responded to, but finds that it doesn't happen. What can that child do? And the answer is, our little list ones act out with behavioral issues. Our kiddos rely on us when they are little to help them self-regulate their emotions and to make sense of what is going on and to provide them with both comfort when they're scared or nervous an encouragement to go out and explore. When a small child is sending their parents signals that they need comfort or encouragement and their parent isn't able to notice or misunderstands their signal or doesn't respond, that child's frustration increases. When this happens, they often explode into a hot mess that can be yelling, screaming, a tantrum, or hitting. All these strong emotions inside of them have to come out, and they do. This can make it even more difficult for parents to figure out what is wrong, because they may shift their focus to the tantrum and continue to overlook the original signals that set off the whole process. This means that they continue to misperceive the situation, improperly interpret, and fail to respond to their child's true needs. It just becomes a vicious cycle. The poor kiddo is so overrun with emotions that he or she can't control that what started out as a request for something has morphed into a persistent behavioral pattern that parents start to ignore. We've all seen it when a child is having a complete meltdown at the grocery store and no one is paying attention. The mother or father just keeps checking items off the list while their child wails uncontrollably. They may scold their child for making noise, but they don't look any further into the issue. They're practicing the parenting technique of, if you ignore it, they'll stop. The problem with this type of parenting action is that our little ones up to about age seven don't have the skills yet to self-regulate and manage their emotions. They're still looking for us to help them learn about their emotions with names and find ways to self-regulate. By ignoring our kiddos' signals and later their tantrums, we are leaving them high and dry to figure out what they are feeling on their own. But they can't because their minds don't yet have the capacity to interpret these abstract ideas about feelings. Instead, they just become overwhelmed and fall into the category of a hot mess. So the only thing they know to get mom and dad's attention is scream. Negative attention is better than no attention. Being alone with their heavy emotions is too much. It's better to have a meltdown and have mom and dad pay a little attention than to be by themselves because it's just too scary. I see this play out every workday around around 5.30 from my office window. I have a beautiful view over a park that has a residential building on the other side. There is this family with twins, a boy and a girl who must be about 6 or 7 years old. Each afternoon I see the, their mother sitting on a bench with the daughter screaming at the top of her lungs, moving away from her mother and back towards her mother. The brother is normally off playing by himself but the daughter cannot keep herself from circling her mother in response the mother scans her phone and does not engage with her daughter the mother seems to be practicing the ignore it and it'll go away parenting technique and so the child just keeps screaming looking for some connection once the poor child has passed out on the ground from forcing out all these strong emotions through her body The mother says it's time to go inside, and she collects the two children and heads in the door. This little girl learned a long time ago that screaming would get her some attention and connection. But as her mother became immune to the sounds of her screams over time, and no matter how loud this little girl raises her voice now, it's like her mother can't hear her. I can only imagine how it feels to be frantically looking for a connection with your main caregiver and to have it be ignored. It's a true mismatch of needs. A child whose signals are not being noticed, interpreted, or responded to, and a mother who wants to soothe her child but has no idea of what is needed. I have tremendous empathy for this mother. She looks like she's at her wit's end. I'm sure she doesn't know how to respond to her daughter anymore and someone has told her that her little girl will outgrow this behavior with time if she just ignores it. And the fact is, she will outgrow the screaming because it will become socially unacceptable. But this little girl will internalize her angst as she ages and then it will be even more difficult to remedy. So when I see this unfortunate dance each afternoon, my heart breaks for the whole family. But luckily, there is a remedy, and that is to repair the insecure attachment that's causing all this pain. Screaming children will learn to stop screaming when their signals are consistently perceived by their parents, are interpreted correctly, and responded to appropriately. Through this process, screaming children learn to understand their emotions and have someone there to help guide them in managing those emotions. They don't have to demand attention from their parents through a meltdown. Instead, the support they need is just there. And parents get to see their child evolve from a problematic child to a loving, understood kiddo. The best thing about fixing an insecure attachment is that parents don't need to be perfect to do it. They only need to get it right about 30% of the time. That's it. Kiddos are really resilient and respond well to a loving, caring relationship. Perfection is not the goal. Just intention, because if parents are really trying, they're going to hit that 30% mark, no doubt. So, to answer my listener's question about why their neighbor's daughter is screaming all the time, well, it's because her parents either taught her that that was how to connect through accidental parenting or that there is an insecure attachment at home. The good news is that it's possible to fix both of these issues and resolve the potential risks that can occur without a secure attachment. If you're interested in learning about how to create a closer relationship with your child through a secure attachment, please check out the Circle of Security parenting workshop that I offer on my website at proactiveparenting.com backslash circle of security. This internationally recognized accredited 8-week program is based off of John Bowlby's attachment theory and provides parents with all they need to know to pick up on their child's signals, properly interpret those signals and respond correctly to help their children's emotional development. Most importantly, it brings parents and children closer for a more loving and enjoyable family relationship. I want to thank my listener for reaching out with their wonderful question this week. If you have any questions on today's topic or any other that you'd like answered, please email me at deanna at proactiveparenting.com. You can find out more information about me and what I do on my website, proactiveparenting.com. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for my name, Deanna Marie Mason, where you can also connect with other parents just like you. Finally, if you'd like to purchase any of my books, online courses, or sign up for workshops, you can do so on my webpage. And again, that's ProactiveParenting.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this episode interesting and useful. If you did, please leave a review and tell a friend so they can become a proactive parent too. Well, that's all from me for right now. Again, this is Dr. Deanna Marie Mason signing off. I look forward to seeing you again soon, but until then, take care and be well.